Hey, welcome and hello to this roundtable about developer relations in a downturn. Uh, my name is Matthew Ravel and I work for Hoopy and Brian. Hello, I'm Brian Robinson. I work at, uh, at Orbit. Brian, do you want to share a little bit about Orbit, who are kindly sponsoring today's roundtable? Sure. So first and foremost, this is like a really super important topic, especially in current economic climate. So we're incredibly happy to be able to, to help make it happen. Uh, a couple of things I do want to mention. First, Orbit is a community growth platform. So we do things to help DevRels and community managers build up their community, strengthen their community. But we also really like to create value and like talk best practices. So I wanted to mention a few resources and content that we have available that I think speak to this topic a little bit. Uh, so first, we've got a print magazine, Print's Not Dead, uh, called Gravity. And our first issue was around metrics and analytics. You can find out about that at orbit.love slash gravity. And then we ran a conference a couple months back. Uh, and there were three talks that I think speak to it. So you can find out more at orbit.love slash nexus. Uh, but the talks are data-led community programs with Jeremy Meese from CircleCI, scaling in a thriving community with Peggy Racis from uh, Apollo. And then I gave a workshop on uh, demonstrating community value and DevRel value uh, via our Orbit model, our open source model. So overall, we just wanted to make sure this panel could definitely happen in the best way it could. But those are some additional resources you might want to check out. Great. Thank you. So... As you say, this isn't really a discussion I guess any of us wants to be having, but it is a discussion that I feel needs to happen. We've seen multiple layoffs recently in tech, uh, many of which affect developer relations or developer community, developer experience teams. And so the question comes, how do we prepare ourselves for choppier economic times? Even if it's not coming now, it will come at some point. So we probably need to think about how we as individual DevRel people, I guess, insulate our careers somewhat or prepare ourselves for potential change in our careers. But also within the DevRel programs that we're involved in, how do we make sure that they are contributing what they need to to the company in order that we give our companies the best chance of survival, but also to make sure that uh, DevRel programs stay around. Yeah, even in the best of times, DevRel is one of those things we're always kind of scrapping and, and being scrappy to try to prove value. And in the worst of times, it's super important. For sure, yeah. Um, so we're joined today by three guests who I think will have some really great insights. So let's introduce our, our guests. We have uh, Jono Bacon is joining us. Hello, Jono, how are you? Good, it's good to be here. Um, how are you guys doing? Yeah, not bad well today. Yeah, good, good. Uh, we've also got Jocelyn Goldfein who is joining us. Hello, welcome, Jocelyn. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and Sam Ramji as well. Hello, Sam. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Good to see you all this morning. Let's let's go to our first question then. We we it seems like a recession is coming, but I guess the question we should open with is, is one coming or is it already here? And Jocelyn, as you work in a an investment capacity, I suppose you have a good overview of what's happening in the market. Um, I can certainly happy to share one person's perspective. Um, you know, I think we haven't met the kind of official, you know, um, economic indicators for a recession two quarters in a row of declining growth. That hasn't happened yet. I think everybody sitting around, you know, the table in, in investment circles and, and CFOs are fully expecting that to happen in, you know, sometime in the next, you know, four to six quarters. And there are people projecting it to be short. There are people projecting it to be long. Anybody's guess, but it's certainly there's enough indicators that it's a smart time to kind of brace yourself and be thinking ahead. What I will say has already happened is that boards and CEOs and CFOs are all making those preparations. So they're all thinking about if they're a sort of venture backed private company, the ones I sit on the boards of, they're all thinking about how do we extend runway? How do we make our cash last as long as possible? How do we add cash to the business right now if we can? And sort of watching their plan like a hawk, but I'm already seeing companies revised plans downward, sort of have lower expectations of the revenue they're going to drive in the next quarter. If you're a public company, I mean, we've seen that public companies are already taking actions, freezing hiring, starting layoffs. And those are all in the kind of same spirit of what private companies are doing to kind of 
okay, in these moments, um, cash is king. Not to be too sobering, but, uh, but that's the reason we're having the, the, the roundtable today. Prepare for the worst, and then uh, you can only, only uh, exceed your expectations. Sam, as Chief Strategy Officer at DataSacks, what are you doing to accommodate this new reality? Well, we've fortunately just raised $115 million in a round led by Goldman Sachs. We had an up round despite the decline in macroeconomic conditions. And I think that has everything to do with the fact that companies no longer have an option but to digitize their way out of a recession. So you have to look at what is the strategy of the customers you're serving. So we've gotten very focused on making sure that we're not part of uh, cost-saving measures. You know, that's always a place where you're already in a conversation where you're going to get squeezed for uh, more and more discounts and possibly out of the deal because a huge cloud provider could come along and say, you know what, if you just use our version of this software, you know, we'll cut 5% off of your bill. Now they're paying $100 million a year to a, G, to a, a GCP or a Azure or AWS. And so a 5% savings all of a sudden looks like $5 million. Well, that's more than we charge them per year. So you don't want to be in the cost savings side. You really have to be on the growth side. You have to be focusing on where's the line of business working to make sure that their company not just sticks around, but thrives in the downturn. And I think that's all about making sure that you're focusing on innovation internally, we're being really smart about the money we have. We're increasing efficiency. We're asking, what can we do differently? What do we need to stop doing? It's very easy for us to get used to. Growth is constant. Money is free. We'll just spend and worry about the accounting later. But the wonderful thing about a downturn is it gets you that sobering opportunity, the word that you mentioned before, to say, okay, what have we been doing over the last couple of years? What have we become numb to that we shouldn't be doing? And where can we just wake up and stop? So I think efficiency is key and understanding that we should always be optimistic about technology as being the way that companies are going to power themselves out of the downturn because we're still in a digitization phase of the economy. So you, meant, you mentioned kind of growth versus efficiency. Would you also kind of see that as uh, sustain, like going explosive growth versus sustainable growth? Or is that a different concept? I think we have to continue to look for explosive growth. If you look at the companies that continue to uh, echo today, they, many of them came out of the 2008, 2009 downturn. So we can have kind of a, a shrinkage mindset and worry about, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. What's going to happen next? Uh, we're going to have to manage things professionally the way that we manage them anyway. But if you can have that new vision, if you can say, you know, what surprised us about the breakout growth that we saw, maybe at small scale, with a particular class of customers that we didn't expect? How are they using our software? Can we be nimble and can we go after them hard? Can we create new campaigns? Can we go and ask those questions and get more people to use our software in that way? There are a lot of surprises in 08, 09, and we still use the technology of the companies that, uh, uh, that built themselves during that, that time period. So I think explosive has to be the uh, has to be the mandate. Jocelyn will point out, of course, that rule of forty is important. So it really depends on whether you're a public company or a startup. Where are you in your fundraising cycle, and are you targeting an IPO? Like, if you were targeting an IPO based on your explosive growth in 2022, I think most people would caution you that maybe this is not the year to go out. Uh, if you're a public company, though, consumption is king. So you're looking for sustained growth, and you know that that's going to come from you know DevRel, not Sua. Not to beg the question that our whole conversation is about today. For those that don't know, can we look at what the rule of 40 is? Uh, sure. So the rule of 40 is a way to think about the appropriate valuation of a company. It used to be in uh, recent times, we saw Snowflake and HashiCorp go public at valuation multiples of about 52 times revenue, which is pretty eye-popping, right? We're talking like $80 billion valuation for Snowflake. Um, that's based on just amazing runaway growth, right? The top line growth was over 140%, I think, for Snowflake uh, when they had that valuation. Rule of 40 then has a much more sober perspective. And it says basically the, the profitability of your company measured in a percentage plus the growth of your company measured in a percentage should add up to 40 or more. And if you're over 40, then we think you probably have your stuff together and you know how to manage the company and you can kind of go up with the upturns and you can weather the downturns. So it's a, it's, a, it's a way that we start to say, 
growth at any costs might not be so favorable now. Let's take a look at growth balanced with profitability. Thanks. And Jono, your work brings you into contact with many different companies and developer communities and developer relations programs. Are you seeing any differences? I'd say yes, yes and no. I mean, the the elements that Jocelyn and Sam were just talking about around, you know, um, executives are preparing for the worst is definitely happening. Um, seeing freezing hires happening everywhere. Um, what I'm not seeing right now is any significant reduction of DevRel teams and staffing. Um, I think many companies... Um, see the value in this work and the importance of this work. You know, if you're going to go through a recession, you can't just stop engaging with your audience. It just doesn't work that way. So I think people realize this. However, what I do think is happening, and I think this is actually a good thing, is there is an increasing level of scrutiny around the impact of every role in a business. And um, and I think that's important for DevRel as well as anything else. The challenge, I think, with DevRel is that um, I think sometimes either there hasn't been a culture of scrutiny in some companies, uh, in, in some cases, and then in other cases, there is also DevRel folks who struggle with being able to show to an executive team the value of the work that they're bringing. You know, they may be bringing enormous value, but they can't necessarily translate it. And I don't mean that in a demeaning or a condescending manner. It's just it's something that I see quite regularly with my with my clients. And I think Bridging that gap is is going to be really critical. But I'm not seeing any really significant changes there. I'm also seeing like a ton of my clients is just, you know, one slice of the market, of course, um, continuing to hire these roles, you know, um, where I've seen most significant freezing when it comes to um, uh, hiring is actually primarily in engineering. So so I think that's a that's a really good segue over. Also, some things I heard, right, that, that executives are making adjustments. Um, we are looking kind of towards cost savings measures kind of across the board uh, and there's more scrutiny around business metrics. Um, so it, sound, it sounds like some combination of those might explain why there might be, a, I'd say maybe fear in the DevRel community around is DevRel going to be one of the first things cut and how do we prevent DevRel from being one of the first things that's cut? Yeah. You know, it, I, I kind of take uh, a, a fairly blunt view on this, which I appreciate there's many holes in this view, which is if you're bringing outstanding value to a business, you're unlikely to lose your job. Um, now, there are going to be cases where companies make bad bets. They, and, and they start, I mean, this has happened with Shopify recently, right? They, the CEO came out and said, I made, I made some bad bets on e-commerce and they've had 10% layoffs. So sometimes good people who are doing really good work do get laid off, of course. But I think when you're, when you're focused on um, ecosystem development, which is always going to be critical to a business, um, and you're doing great work, and you're able to translate that work into, into value that, that your stakeholders can understand, then I think you're probably going to be okay. Um, but I think there, I've seen like some of this fear in the DevRel community where there are really good people doing really good work, and they don't feel like their work is well understood or well, or, or well quantified. Um, and I think, you know, we, we talk about this all the time in DevRel, right? That there needs to be more and more clarity around that ROI component of it, which is not, never all encompassing, but it's got to be enough where, where we can relieve that fear. I'd love to jump in and amplify what you just said, which is I do 100% think it's all about the value. And it's particularly, it's what Sam said about sort of driving impact, driving measurable growth. And if you are a growth driver right now, then you are too precious to lose. Um, and in fact, you, you must be. Um, and in fact, those are, those are the roles that are still being hired, even in the context of a larger hiring freeze. Um, and if you, I think that the big difference, it's always true that we need to quantify growth, that we need to show ROI, that that's been a long-term kind of trend in, in DevRel. How do we go from something that feels like a nice to have to something where we can quantify the value we're creating? But I think one difference between the last recession 10 years ago and now is that historically DevRel was a long-term investment. It was a healthy ecosystem. It was a happy, you know, it was partnership. It was things that would drive revenue somewhere down the line, um, but second order effects. What's happened in the last five years with the rise of open core business models, with the rise of product-led growth, self-service, is that 
for products that are largely bought or influenced by a developer community, which is not every product, not every DevRel role, but a big chunk of them today, um, DevRel is actually a growth driver. DevRel is actually what's driving revenue. And so I think, um, I think there's all, it's almost going to be a haves and haves nots world. If a company sits there and looks at DevRel and says, this is a long-term investment, and hey, maybe right now I got to tighten my belt and long-term investments are not a luxury, are a luxury I can't afford at this moment, then they may have to scale back their DevRel efforts. But if they look at DevRel as something that drives revenue in the short term or drives customer retention and customer expansion in the short term, then DevRel is precious and they're going to keep investing into it. I mean, it's, it's, it's that black and white. Um, and so I think a good thing to take inventory of right now is both, am I sitting in a company whose business model is driven by DevRel? If so, I'm in a strong position. If I'm not, maybe I need to think about looking at some of these companies where it is um, who are still hiring because they need it. Um, but I do think that there's this kind of mushy middle where, as John says, it's all about being able to articulate the value and drive a connection between what you're doing and how many leads I generated for the sales force. Maybe it's not product led, maybe it's direct sales, but maybe the, the, the qualified leads that really convert are the ones that came through the developer community. So being able to quantify mm. your impact, not on strategic initiatives, but on revenue in the next three quarters um, is, is a guarantee of job security. You know, just real, real quick, one of the things that Kirk, so there was a comment in, in the chat uh, that Kirk says, qualifying the value of DevRel and showing metrics is such a difficult thing, which, which I agree with. But um, I think one of the challenges that a lot of DevRel people face here is trying to come up with the one true means of demonstrating value of the work that they're doing. And in my mind, it doesn't exist and it never will exist. That the metrics will be somewhat de dependent on what value is considered by the company that you're working for. And, you know, to your point, Jocelyn, there's, there, there are standard metrics like revenue, right? Uh, if you can demonstrate a link to revenue, then clearly that's going to be a powerful metric. But different companies are at different phases, right, in terms of brand growth and, and um, you know, uh, user or registration growth and things like that. So in my mind, the key to solving that problem that Kirk's highlighting there is really crisply understanding what are the top three things that the company that you work for cares about and the hard thing is, is that the, the things that they may care, care about may be the things that you don't care about, right? Because I think a lot of DevRel people are motivated and inspired by people and relationships and all those things, which are super important. But I think when we can identify those things for your specific company, even it may, may be very different to other companies, then I think it makes it easier to be able to define that uh, for people moving forward. Yeah, I think I think connection versus uh, isolation is absolutely crucial. And I think this mushy middle that... that uh, has been articulated is is so excellent because often we find that DevRel can show up as a bit like um, an art colony, right? Don't ask me about the value of the art. It's amazing. We do fantastic things and there are all these wonderful experiences. That's kind of a, an isolated way to communicate about what you do and only other practitioners can, can, can grok it. Even grok is a good word to describe it, right? Like, <laughs> uh, whereas connectedness is like, it's actually our accountability as DevRel professionals to be very curious about how the business operates. And think about how good we are at evangelizing the value of what our company does to our community. What if we could flip that around and use those same skills to evangelize the value of what our community does for our company? So we need to get over the fear of communicating with the supreme executive vice president, chancellor, right? Whatever, all those things that we worry about hierarchically and just go, hmm, I think you could really create a connection between what we do right now and what happens to the business next quarter. It's not the same as revenue this quarter, but it is a leading indicator. And that will make you more, more capable of making good predictions about where your business is going. So just some curiosity about that interface rather than being isolated, right? Choosing to be connected. I'd love to get some, some input on, so we, we heard a couple of things about like DevRel as a growth driver, right? And, and definitely there are probably the majority of DevRel programs that kind of fit that bill, but also like that feels like a DevRel team that falls under maybe a marketing org. But there's also kind of the second side of, of DevRel that falls under maybe a product org. And I wonder, I think the marketing org is easier to prove that that growth. 
it's you you'd probably know your metrics because you're you know reporting to vp of growth vp of marketing whatever that might be what's the kind of flip of the switch on that and how could maybe devrel teams that report up through a product org have a similar thing even if it is a product led growth company I'll defer to Jocelyn because uh, yeah. uh, she has metrics. a number of investments in this area. And frankly, if you were a DevRel and your job's getting cut, you should send Jocelyn a note because most of her companies are hiring DevRel. We, we actually are. I, I do sit on the board of a lot of companies that are trying hard to hire DevRel people right now and consider it one of the toughest um, jobs to, to hire for. So if, uh, if, if you're excited to go like initiate a new community, I do want to put in a, like a word for startups here. Like in times when, when, um, you know, macroeconomic conditions are shaky. People often feel like, oh, the safe thing is to go work for a big company. And, um, and maybe now is not the time in my life to take the risk of joining a startup. But if you think about an early stage startup, one that has raised recently has 18 to 24 months of runway and, you know, and a pretty decent chance of raising again. Like you, you can assess the quality of the startup and decide if they have a decent chance of raising again. If they have four years of runway, like that's forever. That's longer than your average job. So like that's as safe as a big company. And, and I would argue that in, in current circumstances, the companies that have been first to freeze hiring and do layoffs are the big ones, not the small ones, because they're this is starting in the public markets. Um, and so I, I actually think that like right now, startups may be safer and especially a startup where it's a DevRel led growth model and you're kind of the core of, of growth and, of, and getting off the ground for companies. So anyway, um, thank you, Sam, for giving me a chance to, to get on my, my soapbox and say, if you're feeling risk averse, now's the time to embrace the startup. Um, but I, um, in terms of the metrics, when you're sitting in the product organization, that was the original question. Um, <clears throat> it's got to be the product metrics. And look, some companies are incredibly metric oriented. I worked for four years at Facebook, and this company had product instrumented to the um, to a T. If you sat in the photos team, you knew exactly what metrics you were trying to move this quarter. We're trying to make. Um, not just the absolute number of photos go up, but we're trying to make participation rate go up. So the, the percentage of our users that upload at least one photo. Um, and we're looking at, so we're looking at photo uploads, we're looking at engagement photos. And, um, and so the, that, the, the more um, a product is oriented, an uh, organization is oriented towards metrics in that way, actually the easier it is for DevRel to just kind of fall in line and, and be able to actually measure and, and instrument the impact. Um, I, the more kind of it's loosey goosey and qualitative and like, um, y you know, like the art colony, like the artists aren't wrong. Like the, the customer delight is real and it, it has an unquantifiable um, impact, like, like the impact's not false. But to the extent that that impact exists, eventually somewhere you can measure it. You can measure are people coming? Are they spending more time? Are they adopting more? Are they downloading more? Are they using, are they consuming the API, the SDK more? And like those metrics are so cold and dried, but it was actually beautiful AP, API design. It was great developer ergonomics that, that made those download rates go up, that made those consumption rates go up. Um, but at the end of the day, if you are having value to people, if you're creating an impact, then you can find a way to measure it. And I think that, for DevRel people who are sort of allergic to thinking about the business and, and, and revenue and like, oh, that's what sales guys in suits do. Like, I'm a creative, I'm creative, and I'm a creator, um, and I'm serving my community and, and relationships. I think the thing that for me got me over the hump was, was this, was thinking about what I really care about is creating value for my customers, for my community. I really care about that impact. And a business model, revenue, all of that, like, that's nothing more than keeping score of whether I created value for people. And so the way my company makes money almost always follows in line with the way I create value pe for people. And so if I can kind of lean back and, and think about it as like, you know, how, how can I be sure that I really am delighting my users? How can I be sure that I really am making a difference to my community? And think about metrics, like starting from first principles, starting from what would make you feel good that you were doing, that your job had impact almost always you can you can divide and conquer the problem if you if you make that your starting point you can work step by step back to a way that it touches your business model otherwise your company's business model is fatally flawed if you cannot draw a connection step by step you know one step at a time from delighting your community and creating value for people to them wanting to pay you money then maybe that's not a company that has a future <laughs> that should, you know that, 
you know, that needs to exist. You know, one thing that what you were just saying, I just learned that kind of where my mind goes here is um, I, I agree with you, you know, that kind of revenue number, it's, it's a way of measuring a, uh, a, a one met one type of impact, right. And, and, and value on an audience. Um, and, you know, in the, um, in the revenue world, companies talk about lifetime value. Like what is the amount of money somebody is going to spend with you over the course of their life with you as a customer? And where my head is kind of going a little bit is, you know, everybody talks about growth in DevRel and it always makes me kind of, um, feel a little awkward because growth is often at the front end of the funnel, which is getting new people in. And I know we're not talking about that exclusively here, which is one measurement of growth. And I think a lot of executives will look at how many more, how many more people came in this month, uh, which I think is one thing that's important to look at. But to me, the real impact of DevRel is in, in maintaining and building authentic relationships between a company and its developers and its users. And um, I wonder whether one approach to this is to think of lifetime value within the context of DevRel. And to me, lifetime value within the context of, context of DevRel is the number of touch points across a, <clears throat> an extended period of time. Like if you've got a developer who shows up and they're brand new, so they contribute to your top of funnel uh, growth metric, that's great. But if that developer then, over the course of two years, goes to 10 of your technical workshops, um, reads... 600 pages of your documentation, um, you know, contributes four different ideas that get actioned inside of your community. To me, that is a, an undeniable example of the impact of DevRel because that, that journey would have not happened without, without that person weaving and nurturing that person through that maze of options that are available to them in a world of a billion different distractions, one of which is Stranger Things, which everybody should go and watch. So um, I wonder whether we need to kind of get into that modality if we track the front of the top of funnel growth piece but then how we um instrument that to your point justin around how facebook is an example we're instrumenting product metrics where we instrument that lifetime value that that developers are experiencing as they go through it it tells you a lot about the organization where the devrel is organized under the chief product officer or under the chief marketing officer um ideally it should be a uh, a collaborative function you're gonna have a, a bit each way right um when I worked at Microsoft in the 2000s, we didn't call it DevRel, we called it developer evangelism. And it was very much, uh, you know, part of the, the marketing organization and part of the sales organization. And many of the folks who were leaders there and practitioners have ended up in places like Azure uh, technical sales. But the product teams did want to hear from us every quarter or so to be able to improve their product. So I think being able to keep the connection between product and marketing is one of the key values of DevRel. I loved both, both what, what Jocelyn and, and Jono said. I think when you look at um, the metrics, you, you have to remember that we left behind the idea of revenue as the only metric that matters to a business in 1980, right? That's roughly when the practice of the balanced scorecard was created. I was nine years old then. I'm 50 now, right? So if you're running your business on revenue, you're probably not a place to, you know, you're not a place that's going to innovate or grow. So if you think about the balance scorecard, you think about earned growth, you think about product-led growth, there's a new way of thinking about satisfaction and how it affects revenue. I'd encourage every DevRel person to go and take a look at this article. It came out in the last year or so in uh, Harvard Business Review. It's called NPS 3.0. Now, NPS, a lot of people say, like, I hate NPS. It can be gamed. They know. They're sorry. It was 20 years ago. Uh, NPS 2.0 came out in like 2000. Uh, but 3.0 combines these ideas that, that Jocelyn and Jono offered around uh, how do we think about improving the product through, the, through telemetry? How do we understand lifetime value? How do we relate customer acquisition cost? And that incremental improvement of the product that comes in from the DevRel stream, does it decrease churn? Because I'll tell you, the, the killer for LTV is churn. And if DevRel is connected with dropping churn in a product organization, and it's also connected with increasing conversion because your content is better, your docs are better, you're out there connecting with users and you're doing developer support. I really think ideally the DevRel person is polymathic. They're curious about everything a user may need. No job is too small, right? They work in dev support. They also do keynotes, right? So that's, that's how we create kind of this magical function that makes me so excited about DevRel every day.
One one of the issues in the marketing people talk about is that attribution is one of the hardest problems they face. So while DevRel people can know what impacts they believe they've had, how can you separate out the impact of DevRel versus all the other parts of the organization working together? I think Jono is the person that I would lean to to offer a framework because <laughs> um, actually when when we decided, uh, I'm part of the new management team at Datastax, we came on board about uh, maybe two and three quarters years ago and uh, a little bit in when we decided we needed to really professionalize the organization, we had about 450 employees at the time. We're like, you know what, if we're going to be great at DevRel, we need to hire Jono. So <laughs> I, would, I would lean on his framework because we use it day to day internally. And I could give you a pricey, but it wouldn't be as good as the horse's mouth. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Sam. Very kind of you. I mean, the um, <clears throat> I think there's a couple of things that spring to mind for me here. The, the, there's kind of like strategic methods and there's tactical methods. Um, uh, one of the things, if we start with the tactics, just briefly, one of the things that... Um, surprises me about a lot of um, uh, DevRel folks as well as marketing folks that I've worked with with clients is that, um, is that they're not tracking the source of their traffic. Um, and um, um, there's a whole separate question around how much you should track people online, but um, every single link that you put out there to any piece of content, and DevRel folks you know, generate so much content typically, you should be tracking where that traffic is coming from. And you can do that with UTM codes really easily. You can track it in Google Analytics. And that's a great source. If you see that 30% of your traffic came from initiatives that were run by the DevRel team, then that's a really simple, quick fix that you can apply. Um, but I think that's a, that's a Band-Aid, and, and that can be helpful. To me, what's there's two other thoughts here. One is um, I think attribution is important, but at the end of the day, we have to play together as a team, right? And I think if if it turns into a game of, well, who's responsible for this and who's responsible for this too much, then to me, it's as flawed as asking people to track their hours, um, is that we're tracking the wrong metric. Uh, what we should be tracking is, you know, if, if we have, if we are able to source someone on the internet, a developer, to bring them in, give them a great experience, um, and to keep them around for, you know, two or three, four, five, six years, then the product team and the marketing team and the uh, IT and infrastructure team all played a role in that journey happening. To me, what's important when it comes to attribution is figuring out which pieces of that, who's responsible for which pieces of that puzzle and how effective were those pieces. So to me, I, I'd rather, instead of tracking, you know, who's responsible for that developer kind of coming in more um, when we ran that technical workshop, was it effective? And that's where we can use a lot of the traditional digital marketing uh, metrics like you know how many people showed up to your workshop what was the conversion rate of your landing page and things like that i think if you've got a dev rel person they run let's say a technical workshop and they build a funnel for that and all the components of those funnel of that funnel are optimized then um you know that that dev rel person is basically is working as effectively as they can but they can get people through the door but if you've got a product that sucks you're not going to get a great developer experience and that's where I think we need to kind of align everybody that the, we're all part of the same team. And I think sometimes this means, and this can be terrifying for DevRel folks, especially, you know, as Sam was saying earlier on, if people are a little nervous about talking to executives, I think part of the job in my mind is really setting expectations and and aligning executives with what are the right what are the what are the right things to track. Just because someone's an executive doesn't necessarily mean they have all the answers. And in many cases, they're looking to their DevRel team for guidance and input. I found this with the vast majority of exec that execs that I've worked with is, and this is not just talking to me, this is talking to the DevRel folks, is they want to learn from the DevRel folks. It's not a one-way relationship. So I think saying, you know, just purely tracking attribution um, is one piece of it, but we should really be making sure that we're identifying who's responsible for the initiatives and then optimizing the initiatives and that we're all part of the same team. I do have kind of a question, and it, go, it goes it goes back a little bit, but I think it speaks to this attribution uh, side of things, which is um, so. Justin, you mentioned like at Facebook, like everything was like super like well oiled in terms of like the tracking, um, and you've got you know a portfolio of startups now, most of whom is probably not a well oiled machine yet, right? So how can the DevRel folks who are watching right now help influence how we can get? better tracking internal to the product because marketing folks they've got 
a decent set of attribution, like UTM codes and all that. But like, how do we, to, to Jono's point, take that funnel that we had for the technical workshop and then trace that through to a spike in product usage around the feature we covered inside of that for, for both maybe a well-oiled machine and a non and a rusty new machine, which is antithetical, I suppose. Well, I think it really varies depending on the company and its stage and its business model, but really like what is important to the company. And it, it does mean that, um, that dev, well, people have to get comfortable with that kind of cross-functional communication with like, you know, with, with hugging their counterparts in, in marketing and in product and, and even in finance, right? And, and figuring out what matters. At, at a seed stage startup with its first DevRel person that's just trying to create a community program, like you don't need to have telemetry on every single thing. What you need are three design partners. And you know what? If those design partners like appeared in Slack and were engaged on Slack, then like chances are like we give DevRel credit for it. Like attribution is not super important when you're at like, when it's that small and it's like the dots connect so clearly. Um, <coughs> when you're a little bit larger and the name of the game is about repeatability, scale and growth, that's where it's really important to be kind of have a great relationship with the product team you work with. Um, and the good news is it's awesome for product managers and engineers to have this kind of instrumentation too, because they can measure if their product is successful, if their product is working for customers and users, if they can, if they can measure sort of what are the key moments? Is it logins? Is it, um, is it API calls? And, um, and I think that you'd be, you'd be flying blind to, to try to scale product growth um, or, the, or the growth of an SDK, whatever your business model is, without, um, without like the basics of, are people using my stuff and is it working for them? And is it solving the problem? Um, and so what that is will vary by product by product, but that's like a conversation between, um, between PM and DevRel, I think. And, um, and, and on the, you know, I, it's almost, I almost wonder how much we're living in the past here too, because, and maybe I'm living too much in the future because I'm, but I feel like any, any tech company that got its start in the last five or eight years is kind of growth forward, has kind of adopted this playbook of like, well, yeah, of course it's, 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 you know, 20 years ago, we treated customer support as a cost center. We, we knew we didn't want, we knew we had to solve customer problems or they would stop paying us, but we wanted to spend as little on it as possible because there was no upside. There was only avoiding downside. And then we realized, oh, wait, now that we're in a subscription business model, if customers are really happy, they'll use our product more and they'll buy more of it. And so actually this is a growth driver that generates revenue. So we made the transition from customer support, cost center, make it run as cheap, you know, do as much with as little as you can to customer success, invest into it because this drives growth. Like, I feel like that's the mentality of execs today. And that's the mentality of product companies today is to, to, to measure, but to, but to believe, you know, to believe that investing in the community is going to invest in expansion. We're measuring business metrics now, like net revenue retention. And, and if someone kind of trained up, 10 years ago and has been like, oh, that's icky business stuff. I don't, you know, I don't need to pay attention to that. Like you've actually missed a pretty tectonic shift um, in, 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 in how your function is, is valued and, and, and measured. So I guess I, I guess I feel differently. I sit in so many board meetings where we talk about the importance of growing community, where we talk about, um, you know, engagements in discord or, uh, GitHub stars as sort of measures that we're measuring for their own sake, that we want to see grow because we all believe that there's a connection between that and driving leads to our sales team or driving credit card swipes on the, on the website down the line. Or if you're, you know, if you're Facebook and it's ad driven revenue, like if our product is great, then people will spend more time and we'll make more money that way. Um, so I, I, I almost think that that growth mentality has become so ubiquitous now in Silicon Valley startups. I'm kind of like, if you work for a company that doesn't have that mentality, man, find a better job. <laughs> you know, find a better set of execs who get it. And, but like, also do be open to going and talking to those people and, and hugging them. And like you, like, I think there's been a real sea change. I, I think everybody knows native content is the best way to drive authentic interactions with community members or people who may pay you money someday. I think that this is like, this is like the new common wisdom. You know, Jocelyn, one of the things I love about what you just said there is about the hugging, like hugging it out kind of thing. Because I, I think some DevRel folks um, see themselves as like sitting in their lane, right? And there's a lot of debate in the DevRel world around reporting into marketing or reporting into engineering or reporting into product. And to me, the most inspiring and incredible DevRel folks that I've ever seen 
have just got this ability to just slither all over the business and just engage with people and draw connections and get everybody excited about a common mission. And those people are super powerful. And I think the DevRel people that have struggled at times have, 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 have become a little tribal in nature where they say, well, hang on, we're in, we're in the engineering team and those marketing people are making us do these things or those sales people are making us do things. And, and to your point, I think that's, that's a perspective of the past. You won't last long without right. mentality. And you're neglecting your superpower. You're an evangelist. You're a community builder. Like use exactly. that mindset to build community with your teammates and your yeah, coworkers totally. and to evangelize what you do. To, you know, I mean, that's your superpower. And when you define other business, other job functions as like your rivals or as like some other silo, you're actually just like leaving your superpower on the floor and like, you know, leaving your magic sword and armor at home and like just going and being a muggle. Like, why would you? And so, I'll, I'll, point, I'll, I'll point out something surprising, which is that the, the DevRel folks who are afraid of executives or of other functions, those functions are afraid of them. So think about this. You have a technical product, right? And then you have people who come into the company and they don't have a technical background. And it's easy for us to forget the level of intimidation that non-technical people feel in startups and in technical product companies. So if we can start to change our heart, and again, to, to follow Jocelyn's uh, hug, your, hug your executives, hug the other functions, um, it's really important to enable them to decrease their fear, right? Because whatever we fear, we're going to keep at arm's length and we might take actions that don't make sense. Teams might get cut, people might get fired because the conversation never happened. I do have a couple things to, to say that I think are maybe um, uh, just very... Uh, very practical uh, and metrics oriented because I don't, I don't believe that it's not measurable. I, I also agree that we shouldn't do a uh, hard attribution. I had the privilege of working at Google for a few years and our chief financial officer, Ruth Parat, who I think is really one of the very best in the business. Uh, she was constantly asked about attribution and if we were going to run Google as P&Ls. And she said, no, every year we get asked the question, every year we take a look at it. And she said, I think what makes Google, Google magical is that we believe that lots of smart people working hard together can create great experiences for customers and that makes us a great company. Once we start doing attribution, now we've created this whole new game that sucks up a lot of our time of counting things and did you count the thing or did I get the thing and now we fight about that or else do we lie to each other and we say, well, we'll both count both things. And now we've created this new ungrounded economy where everything gets doubled and eventually gets tripled. So attribution as a term, it's a, it's a mistake. Don't, don't follow that path. But measurement, measurement's king. Simple question. Do you have a technical product? Okay, if you do, guess what? Technical products don't sell themselves. They also don't use themselves. Where do they happen? Marketing brings people to the show. DevRel creates the show. The people who arrive there are a cohort. You can offer them a tracking code. You can figure out how many people came in and used the free trial. You can put that in the cookie. You can make sure that you understand who these people are as they come through your site without violating their privacy. You can look at that cohort and do conversion. So everything that we've learned about PLG or product level growth, if you go to the SASTR conference, just take that and maybe replace the P with the D, like developer-led growth, or maybe it's developer-centric product-led growth. We need better terms here. Then you can say like, what's happening with our doc views with people with those cookies? What about support tickets? What about Slack members if you have a Slack community? Um, so these things are super trackable. And I'll reflect one last piece of wisdom that uh, Mary Thangval offered uh, when, when Jono and I got a chance to talk with her a few months ago. She said, what about DevRel qualified leads? We can create clear language as, as both Jono and, and Jocelyn were mentioning. There's sort of top of funnel, which ends up flowing down in the marketing system to be an MQL or marketing qualified lead. Eventually, it gets handed off to some salesperson. They make an inbound call. It's called an S0, right? It's a sales opportunity, stage zero, and then they progress. This is what sort of modern sales and marketing understand. It's highly programmatic, and conversion rates are generally around 2% if you're doing really, really great, right? You've got all these people at the front, and then you eventually bring them in. But DevRel qualified leads may be lower in total volume, but they're much higher in conversion, stickiness, and uh, much lower in churn. So you're really talking about two very different things. Do you want the gold or do you want the gold ore? You got to crunch a lot of gold ore to get down to the gold, but DevRel may be just bringing you gold. So 
cohorts, tracking codes, free trial conversion, doc views, support tickets, Slack members, and DevRel qualified leads, I think are very clean ways to fit into a modern technical product business for DevRel. We are coming to kind of the last minutes of our time together. I'd like to ask you just in closing, we've spoken a lot about the organizational level and how people can contribute to their team success within a company. But if someone watching this has found themselves no longer employed, how can they put their best foot foot forward to go and get that next DevRel role in maybe a more constrained economy? I've got a really practical thing that they can do. So I actually built a training course for how people can get their dream community job. Um, And if, if, if people want to email me, I'll give them free access to it. Like these are difficult times and it walks people step by step through how to identify companies you want to work for, how to put together a great resume, how to go to an interview and actually do it well, you know, how to learn more about the company before you actually share your skills and experience. It's a very, very practical way of of going through it. And given that we're in difficult times, if people want to email me at jono at jonobacon.com, I'm happy to give people just free access to it. That's wonderful. Thanks. Justin, in your in your companies, what are you what are you advising your your founders to look for in DevRel people? Well, we're frequently hiring the first DevRel person, <clears throat> and so what we're looking for is someone who's a little bit of a jack of all trades and doesn't have to be the master of one of them, but someone who can get us set up, someone who can kind of cover the bases and say and come up with our our strategy. You know, we need a place to talk to our community. Is that Discord? Is that Slack? Let's get it going. We need a way to um, interact and solve problems. Is the, and um, we need a way to, to measure success. Maybe we need to adopt Orbit. Um, but also, this person is going to end up being the person on point, being the person doing the writing. So, um, so I think like the ability to write clearly and authentically in a develop in a good developer voice is one of the most important things. The ability to sort of run workshops and really bond and form real meaningful relationships with the party at the other end. Um, so I would say it's it's that breadth. It's 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 being able to do a little bit of everything that is most important when you're hiring the first one. Um, and if someone had joined another tech company when the community team was small and then when the community was small and saw it grow and saw a sort of variety of things that didn't didn't work, that would be catnip to me um, because I would love someone who's sort of seen the future a little bit. Um, And then, you know, if I got to keep piling on things that would be just bonus points and add appeal to me, someone who's got a spirit of experimentation, what worked at some other company is not necessarily going to work at my company. Every product is different, which means every community is different. Um, and so, uh, someone who's just like prepared to try a bunch of things, um, in a scrappy way and sort of walk away from the things that didn't work. Don't fall in love with your babies. Um, but try more th- if, you know, if it's not working, like don't get in the dumps, just like, okay, that test didn't work. We're going to try the next one. We're going to try the next one. We're going to find the thing that does work. Um, so, you know, I think that kind of resiliency and, and, and hustle attitude, but like, but, but just sort of grounded and authentically caring about people and products. Can I have it all? And Sam, any advice from your, from your side? Yeah. So, you know, 21 years ago, I was cut from my company in a recession, right? 2001, we had the dot-com bust and we thought that was the worst it was going to get. But then right after that, of course, was September 11th, uh, 2001. So that was, that was a tough time, but it enabled me to retool. So I would invite people who are in about to lose their job, right, or who got surprised with it to kind of take, take the most of the package. It's going to be shocking. It hurts. I get it. I've been there. But to be able to do some written reflection and reimagine the work you've done, how might you explain this in a zero stress environment? It's just you and your computer. You're just writing out a document. How might I explain what I've done in the last two years to a chief marketing officer? How might I describe it to a chief financial officer? You can talk to some people who you might have met in finance or marketing, right? How do you start to just get a little bit more on the business? That reset, that reimagination of what you've done, now that you're not under the stress of having to deliver constantly, does give you an opportunity to learn something about yourself, tell a slightly different story. At the same time, don't disappear, right? Many of us in the industry suffer from 
uh, from depression, from anxiety. I'm certainly one of them. And the cure is not retreating and licking your wounds. It is to connect. What the beautiful things about the DevRel community is not just that it's polymathic, not just that it's artistic, but that it is connected and caring. So I've seen the prior recession with COVID two years ago. I saw a lot of people coming out on Twitter and saying, I just lost my job. I feel terrible. And you just see there's this swarm of like 10 or 20 or 100 people going, oh, I'm so sorry. Hey, call me. Do you want to just chat? Oh, my gosh, I'm hiring. And the way that social media can work at its best, I think, is often showcased in how we, how we support each other in the DevRel community. So reimagine, reflect, reset, and then stay connected. Get out there. Just tell people what's going on. It may be too scary to ask for help. You could just say, life sucks for me right now. And I think you'll be amazed uh, at what comes back. Wonderful. Jocelyn, Jono, Sam, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom over the past, uh, well, 50 minutes now. Um, where can people find each of you online? I'm so, I'll start uh, <laughs> uh, you, you can find me on Twitter, SRAMJI, S-R-A-M-J-I. Um, and if you're in DevRel, you're listening to this, you've got some questions, you can hit me directly at sam at ramji.org. That's my personal email. Um, I'm on Twitter at uh, jgoldfine, first, uh, first initial last name. Um, and, uh, and if you want to reach out, I'm jocelyn at zvp.com. Or, of course, if, you're, uh, if you want to browse a portfolio of companies, many of whom are actively hiring DevRel people, zvp.com has our, our companies and their job listings. Johnny. Um, and I have a stupid name, so it's easier for picking usernames. So I, uh, I, on Twitter, I'm at John O'Bacon. Uh, and uh, my, web, my, my uh, website is johnobacon.com. So. It is not a stupid name. It's a wonderful name. And let me, let, me, <laughs> let me remind everybody in the audience, everything is better with bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Tagline. Wonderful. Well, Brian, thanks for, for joining me as well in this, uh, in this session. And if you are watching this and you want to get more of this kind of content, then head over to developerrelations.com. But for now, we'll say goodbye and thank you. Thanks, everyone.